0: Turning your Bibles this morning to Ruth, the book of Ruth will be in chapter 3 of Ruth this morning. I wonder what stories from your childhood do you recall? When you think of some of your memories, some of the stories that your parents perhaps read to you as you were a, a child, which ones stand out? Which ones did you hear over and over and over again? I'm sure some of them would, would be common amongst us. Most of us in here probably know the, the story of the boy who cried wolf, right? And the principle that taught. Or, or maybe you know the childhood story of the, the tortoise and the hare, right? The principle that taught, right? Slow and steady wins the race. We, we remember some of these childhood stories. But maybe some stories that you were told growing up are not necessarily fictional stories of teaching a principle, but perhaps they're historical stories that your parents or maybe a Sunday school teacher or a mentor would tell you and talk to you about so that you would learn a valuable truth or a principle of life. I think of, of stories like Rome's destruction. Perhaps you remember sitting in history class and studying the the fall of Rome, or maybe you had a Sunday school teacher or one of your parents that talked to you about the fall of Rome and how Rome really crumbled from the inside and the danger that lies before us and how that applies to us, that we should learn that our greatest enemy may not be across the ocean. It could be here in our very country. Or maybe you remember hearing the story, as I did, of D-Day, when the Allied troops stormed a beach that really should never have been stormed. It was next to impossible to win, but we won it. And how that turned the tide of the war. And how sometimes we have to go forth and act courageously and do things that seem to be impossible, but we do it, even when it's hard, because it's worth it. And there's a battle that needs to be won. See, we are a people who learn from stories. We, we are a people who can learn lessons. We understand present realities through stories we hear. Whether they're fictional stories like The Boy Who Cried Wolf, The Tortoise and the Hare, or whether they're stories of Rome's fall and D-Day, we learn from stories, don't we? And in Ruth, we've talked about that. In Ruth, we talked about... Two stories already in Ruth chapter 1, Ruth chapter 2. We looked at first a story of suffering. Then we looked at a story of providence. And looked at how those stories, what we see in Ruth and her account of what really happened in Ruth's life, how that informs us and helps us to understand our own days in which we go through suffering. Our own days in which we, we look and we don't know what's going on when it seems hopeless. But we know that in the midst of hopelessness there's hope. Why? Because we know that suffering does not have the final word. Suffering is not final. So there is hope. Hope is real because suffering is not final. And then we talked about in the story of Providence that that there is hope in the midst of hopelessness. That hope is real. Because why? Because God is always working. And so we, we read these stories and we're reminded that in the midst of our suffering, that there is hope in the midst of hopelessness. In the midst of our questions, in the midst of our uncertainty, in the midst of our confusion of not knowing exactly what's going on or why things are happening, we know there's hope in the midst of this hopelessness because God is working. The same God that worked in Ruth is the same God that works in our lives today. So we find great hope there. Today we turn to a third story in the book of Ruth. We'll read Ruth chapter 3 verse 1 all the way through chapter 4 verse 12. It's a big chunk of scripture today, but the story we look at today is a story of redemption, a story that we see through Boaz and, and his life, a man that was, we were introduced to in, in chapter 2, verse 1, where we read, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Then we read in, in chapter 2, verse 20, we learn that Boaz was not just an ordinary man but Naomi identifies him to Ruth when she finds that Ruth had worked in his field. It says, may he be blessed of the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead because Naomi says, this man, Boaz, is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. One of our redeemers. So we learn that Boaz is a very important figure in the book of Ruth and through what Boaz does in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we see a beautiful story of redemption. Now, there's, there's two things I want us to look at real quick before we get into the text, just kind of as a background. One is, is the whole idea of redemption. You, you hear that word, we just sang of, of Christ our Redeemer, and we hear words of redemption, redeem, and, and what is it? Is it something you use? Sometimes you may or you may not, but for clarity's sake, to redeem something is to buy something back, to purchase it to acquire it through paying a price, to ransom. It's a, a term from the marketplace, a term of commerce. It's something that you, you redeem something. Words about redemption occur over 20 times in the book of Ruth. Over 20 times. So it is an important illustration, it's an important theme throughout the book of Ruth, this idea of redemption. Now the second thing I want to tell you about as far as in way of background is this idea of the kinsman redeemer. We, we see in, in, in Boaz what is known as a kinsman redeemer. What is that? That's not something we have in our day. But in the day of Ruth, the idea of a kinsman redeemer was built around two realities, two laws that were set in place. One had to do with land. that The, the close relative, he doesn't have to be the nearest, but the close relative has the responsibility and the opportunity to buy land from a deceased brother. So if, if, if a man dies, one of his relatives can come and buy his land to redeem the situation of his widow. We see, if, if you want to look back and read on that sometime, it's in Leviticus 25 is where that's set forth. And then Jeremiah actually is an example of this in Jeremiah 32, 6 through 8, where he redeems land. So we understand the kinsman redeemer has a responsibility with land. But what we also see with the kinsman redeemer is a responsibility in the area of marriage something that's called leveret marriage. And so what this means is that if a man dies, then a close relative would take his widow by marriage to redeem her situation, to care for her and provide for her. We see this in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. So in both situations, you have a, a circumstance where death has brought tragedy. Death has brought a, a, an and a time of separation, separated from the family, because all of a sudden the the wife has no one to provide for her and her family. The the man who was the provider has has died, and so the widow is in a helpless state. And so land or marriage can be used to redeem and bring her back into unity with the family. It's the idea of redemption. And so I want us to read Ruth three all the way down through Ruth four verse 12 this morning, and then we'll look at the story of redemption. So just listen to how God uses Boaz to provide for Naomi and Ruth and to redeem their situation. Chapter 3, verse 1 reads this, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, She went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. This would surely be a shocking moment, right? You wake up and there is someone laying at your feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, essentially, this is what Ruth said. I'm Ruth. Will you marry me? She's being pretty forward here. When she says, spread your wings over me she is saying marry me and what Naomi has done is Naomi is is she's thinking and Ruth one and two and as the story progresses and you can just sense that Naomi's mind is kind of churning and thinking and she's going okay uh, Ruth just happened to be in the field of Boaz I don't think things just happen we talked about that a couple weeks but she did just happen to be there and so I know God is a great God and a providential God so this whole just happening thing probably isn't just happening it is God's plan unfolding and so Naomi says okay let's just push things along why don't you go and lay down at his feet while he's sleeping and then he'll tell you what to do and so she said hey let's be assertive Naomi's kind of pushing things here right and so Ruth goes and does that it startles Boaz he wakes up there's somebody at his feet and he says who are you and she says I'm Ruth will you marry me (laughs) and you know this is moving along right okay so um verse 10 Boaz says May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now, this is a, a profound, a pretty serious statement, right? So Boaz says a couple things here. Boaz says, one, that, that your kindness here, you have demonstrated great integrity. You have not gone after young men. You're not going around just trying to make things happen. You're not running after all the guys in the town, all the available fish in the sea. You're not trying to catch them. You, you've come here, and everybody here knows that you are a worthy woman. Ruth's testimony of her life spoke for itself. Everybody in town knew that she was a lady of integrity, of faithfulness, that she was worthy. Now verse 12. Boaz says, now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So here again, remember we first started getting into Ruth, we talked about how Judges was a, a, a book that showed the lack of integrity, the lack of character, the lack of morality among some of God's people and leaders. But here in Ruth, we talked about how Ruth is a, a demonstration of God's people who are living with integrity. And Ruth, or Boaz is living with integrity here. He says, listen, I am a redeemer, but what I also know is that there is a redeemer closer than I. Law didn't require that it had to be the closest But that was what the custom was. The closest kind of got the first shot. And so it's essential that, or essentially what Boaz is saying is, listen, to to do things the right way, or maybe in, in some biblical terminology, to fulfill all righteousness, let's go the way that we should go first and see if the closest Redeemer will redeem you. If he won't, I will. If he does, then so be it. Praise the Lord. That's good. But if he doesn't, I'll do it. So in the morning, verse 14, she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose Before one could recognize another, and he said, "Let it not be known that the the woman came to the threshing floor." And he he's seeking simply to guard and protect against gossip. Right? If in the morning nothing has happened, there's no indication of any kind of physical relationship here. But in the morning, if the right when everything gets going, everybody's coming out to go out, and she leaves, then it doesn't look good. Right? He understands that. He's aware of that, and so he says in verse fifteen. For the man will not rest, but will settle the, settle the matter today. So we see Boaz kindness, right? And perhaps Boaz saying, listen, I'm going to go ahead and give this to you to show you that I am going to be good for my word. I will redeem you. If the opportunity arises, I'm going to give you this barley to take to Naomi. We see his kindness here. We also see Naomi with a, maybe a sense of anticipation, maybe a, a sense of confidence for Naomi. You, you just wait. <laughs> I just want you to wait. I, I had asked you to be assertive, so in the beginning of the chapter, she says, Hey, listen, let's be a little assertive here. Let's go, and you lay down at his feet, and then when he awakes, you say, Will you please take me in as my Redeemer and marry me? And now she says, Just wait. Just wait until you learn how the matter turns out. The man will not rest until the matter is settled this day. Naomi has confidence now. Now, chapter 4, in chapter 4 we're going to read of Boaz's faithfulness to keep his word and to redeem Ruth and Naomi. Chapter 4 verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. This is Boaz is a pretty smart guy, right? He's just sitting at the gate. He walks by, "Hey, hey, hey over here." right, he's just carrying out Leviticus 25, what we talked about. This is Leviticus 25 in action. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. He turned aside and sat down. Verse 2, and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. Right? Pretty pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And he said, I'll redeem it. So the guy says, hey, that's a good deal. I need some more land. I'll redeem it. Now, verse 5, Boaz says, ah, but here's something you need to know. Verse 5, the land comes with responsibility, right? He says, Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the land of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. There's the lever at marriage. Then verse 6, then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. There's a lack of ability, a lack of willingness to redeem it all of a sudden. So what does Boaz do? Now, this was the custom. (laughs) Boaz says, okay, cha-ching, I'm about to redeem this. There was a custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Ruth, or Boaz just redeemed Ruth and Naomi. It's done. The custom, the requirement of the law was paid, and he redeemed the two ladies. Verse 11. Then, now listen to this. Listen to this. This is beautiful. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. (laughs) <laughs> All the people say, basically, may, may you be blessed and may your offspring be blessed. Oh, if they even knew what they were saying. We're going to find that out next week. Well, the, the depth and the extent of the blessing. And they just said, may you be blessed. Oh, the Lord would answer that request. The Lord would indeed answer that request. And we will look at that next week. But today, I want you to see the story of redemption that we just read. You see, Naomi and Ruth are in a hopeless situation they're alone there's there's no one to protect them there's no one to provide for them they are desperate for help and and Boaz is their kinsman redeemer he's kind of that glimmer of hope we talked about in verse 2 or verse 20 of chapter 2 where you see this first glimmer of hope that when when Naomi finds out about Boaz she she's kind of it gets excited she had been bitter, and now all of a sudden she had hope. And now the question in front of them at the end of 2, verse 20, is this. Is Would Boaz actually redeem the situation? Would, would, would the one Naomi who had said, I don't want to be called Naomi. I want to be called Mara because I'm bitter. The Lord's been bitter to me. He's working against me. And we talked about that, what that means, and was that true or not. But in Naomi's perspective, the Lord was against her. All of a sudden she has hope. So would the one that had said, I'm bitter, would she be removed and taken out of the suffering and the sting of death? Would the the, the ones, I guess I should say, that had no family, would they be adopted in and brought back into family? Well, we know from reading chapter 3 and chapter 4, the answer is yes. The question is, how did that come about? Why did that come about? And what I want you to see, there's three reasons that Boaz redeemed Naomi and Ruth. Three reasons. Here's the first one. Boaz held the position of Redeemer. Boaz held the position of Redeemer. We saw 2.1 and 2.20 that he was not the nearest relative, but he was a relative and he held that position. The nearest relative was not required, so he had the position to help them. Others in Bethlehem, they didn't hold that position, but, but Boaz held a unique position to be able to redeem Ruth and Naomi. Second reason. The second reason was that Boaz had the ability to redeem. He had the ability to redeem. In 2.1, he's described as a worthy man, or literally it would say of worth or of excellence. Perhaps he was excellent in character and integrity. Maybe he was, he was of worth because of the land. He was a wealthy landowner, perhaps. We, we don't know exactly, but regardless, what we do know is that, that Boaz was not restricted from redeeming. In verse 6 of chapter 4, the other redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself. But Boaz had the ability to do so. He was not restricted. So he held the position of redeemer. Second, he had the ability to redeem. And third, Boaz had the willingness to redeem. He had the willingness to redeem. In three, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, he said, I am a redeemer. If he is not willing to redeem you, then what? As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. He had the willingness to do so. And then in verses 9 through 10 of chapter 4, we see that he does indeed redeem Naomi and Ruth. He had the willingness to do it. Now, this is a beautiful story of redemption. Boaz looks and he he sees the misery, the plight of Naomi and Ruth. He had mercy on them, and then he goes about, the, the, the right channels and pays the necessary price to redeem them. It's a beautiful picture of redemption, but it's a divine foreshadowing of the redemption that we have in Christ. It sends our gaze forward to look at the real redemption that we have in Christ, because in Jesus, we have a better story of redemption. Boaz is a beautiful story of redemption, but in Jesus, we have a much better story of redemption. Boaz was a wonderful redeemer for Naomi and Ruth, but Jesus is a true and better Boaz. He is a true and better redeemer for his people. You see, we need to understand that we are all just like Naomi and Ruth. We are all in a hopeless situation. As sinners and rebels, we are hopeless before God. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And in Isaiah 59, 2, we read that, that our sins, our iniquities have made a separation between us and our God. Romans 6.23 says, What? That the wages of sin is death. You see, do you see we, we have gone astray. We're separated. The wages of sin is death. Ephesians 2:1 says what? That we are dead in trespasses and sin. We are spiritually dead. We are separated from God. There's a problem with our soul. A serious problem. That we are helpless to resolve on our own. The, the reality is today that, that a lot of you, or some of you I should say, probably not a lot of you, some of you in here, have a hard time getting your head around this idea that you are spiritually dead separated from God guilty dead in your sins and the reason that you have a hard time wrapping your mind around this is because you have been taught to think little of your soul you've, you've bought this lie that the material is all there is that it's only flesh and blood you're just flesh and blood you're just the material but you need to know that you are more than flesh and blood God created you body and soul. When we say that you are dead in transgressions and sins, it's not something we look around and go, oh, dead, alive, dead, alive, dead, alive. We can just see it. We see the material. But you need to understand that there is a very real soul, that you have a soul. And that soul is dead and guilty and separated from God. You need to understand that you are more than flesh and blood. And we're born sinners and we are willing sinners as well it leads our souls to be enslaved to sin to be dead before the Lord to be guilty before him to be separated from him we need a redeemer we need someone to redeem our soul we are hopeless on our own we are desperate and just like Naomi and Ruth we cannot save ourselves we can't do it. We cannot better the plight of our soul. We cannot better the state of our soul. The the talents that you have cannot pay the debt of your soul. It just won't happen. The kindness that you show to others is not going to pay the debt of your soul. The wisdom you have, the intellect you have, the intellectual ability cannot pay the debt of your soul. Your religious works, going to church, does not pay the debt of your soul. You can do all of those things, and you still come, and you still stand guilty before God. None of that erases the guilt. We don't have a guilt eraser that we do enough of those things, and it just erases our guilt and makes our soul as though it were just perfect and holy. It doesn't work that way. But what's more is like every other kinsman redeemer in four six. the kinsman redeemer in chapter 4, verse 6, what did he say? I cannot redeem it for myself. I can't do it. And that's how everything else is in life. Everyone else, every other person, every other thing in life looks to you and says, I cannot redeem you. I can't do it. No one has enough money to pay the debt for your soul. They don't have enough money to do it. Your parents cannot pay the debt of your soul. The philosophy of man cannot pay the debt of your soul. It cannot remove the guilt. Science cannot remove the guilt. It cannot pay the debt of your soul. It cannot bring your dead soul back to life. It can't do it. Science cannot bring life to your dead heart. It's just not going to do it. So we are all alone. We're desperate. We're hopeless. We're in misery. We need a redeemer. And thanks be to God that Jesus Christ is the true and better Boaz. He is our redeemer. And so just like there were three reasons that Boaz redeemed Naomi and Ruth, listen to these three reasons that Jesus redeems us three reasons that he redeems us one jesus held the position of redeemer he holds the position of redeemer the triune god father son and holy spirit is a redeeming god we are introduced to the concept of redemption in exodus 6 when we hear god saying that i am or he says say therefore to the people of god i am the lord and i will bring you out from under the burdens of the egyptians And we know that because of that great precedent. This is what redemption looks like, to take one that is in bondage and to redeem them out and make those who were not a people a people. I will be your God. You will be my people, he says. He is a redeeming God. But that is not when it started. (laughs) <laughs> That's the beautiful thing. We think about Jesus holding the position of Redeemer. He held it, and it was in plan for all time. He has always existed. He didn't just come into existence to redeem us. He has always existed, and the plan for him to play the role as Redeemer is always a part of the plan. It was in place before creation, 1 Peter 1.20. We've read this before, but in 1 Peter 1, we read, knowing that you were ransomed, right? There it is, you're ransomed, you're bought, you're paid for, you're redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers not with the perishable things such as silver or gold or with the precious but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And in Acts 2.23, we looked at this passage on Easter Sunday. It says, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus held the unique position as the redeeming God. He held the position of Redeemer. He did not become a Redeemer because He came and lived and died. He is the Redeemer, and it was a part of the plan of all times. He came and He died because He is a redeeming God. And we worship him. He held the unique position of redeemer. The second reason that he redeemed us is this. Is that Jesus had the ability to redeem. Jesus had the ability to redeem. Two things stand out to me here. One, he had the ability to redeem because he was holy. He was holy. He was holy. No man could pay the necessary price for our souls. Why? Because men, all men are sinful. But Jesus is holy and he was able to redeem sin. No man is worthy, but Jesus is worthy. John knew this in John 1:26 to 29. John the Baptist is baptizing, and he says, They ask him a question. He says, Listen, I, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose hand, sandal I am not worthy. To untie. John is saying, Listen, I'm I'm coming, and I'm preaching, and I'm calling you to repentance, and I'm baptizing, but one is coming that I am not worthy to even untie his shoe. Not even worthy to get near him. The next day, John 129, the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John's testimony is like, I'm not worthy, but he is worthy. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 1 Peter 1 18 and 19. We read 20, 1, 18 and 19, we said you were ransomed not with the perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of what? A lamb without blemish or spot. He was holy. He's the holy Lamb of God, who in Revelation 5 they said, What? Who's worthy? The word, the Lamb is worthy. Why? Because he was without spot, without blemish. He gave his life for our sins. He was worthy. He had the ability to redeem because he was holy. He also had the ability to redeem because he had authority over death. He had the authority over death. He he was one who was the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. And he had the ability to take it up again and secure our redemption. He is the one who had authority over death. He is the God of the living. John 10, 17 to 18 says, I lay down my life that, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus was holy, and Jesus had authority over death. Death might have been a foe, an unbeatable foe for all of us, but it was not unbeatable to God. Remember in Acts 2, we read also on Easter Sunday that that death could not contain him. Could not contain him. Why? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the life. And there is no one greater than him. He had the ability to save us, to redeem us. The third, perhaps the most beautiful thing of all, is he had the willingness to redeem us. He had the willingness. That's why he came. Mark ten forty-five. 45. What does it say? Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to do what to give my life as a ransom for many to give my life as a ransom for many that's why he came to give his life as a ransom luke nineteen ten. the son of man came what to seek and to save the lost in first timothy 1 we read that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that jesus christ came into the world to save sinners that's why he came Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through his death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Why did Jesus come? He came to destroy death and to deliver those who lived under the fear of death. It's why he came. You talk about willingness. He came on a mission, the, missio dei, the mission of God. He came to redeem He was absolutely willing. It was the plan for all time. He came to free us. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to save sinners. He came to give his life as a ransom, the payment for us. Listen, hope is real because Jesus is our Redeemer. That's why. There's a, a lot of hopelessness today. But you need to know that Jesus is the Redeemer. Boaz is a beautiful story of it. He is a beautiful account. He was, was indeed a kinsman, Redeemer. But Jesus is a true and better Boaz. An unbeliever, you cannot, you must not neglect the plight of your soul. You must not neglect the state of your soul. You must not buy into the idea that you're only flesh, and blood, that it's just material things. Understand that you have a soul that is guilty, enslaved, and dead to sin. You are separated from God. And your soul absolutely influences every part of your life. You're standing before God as as one deserving of His wrath and punishment. The plight is serious. But Jesus Christ came as a ransom for many. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to redeem, to give his life as a ransom, to pay the payment. And the great promise is that Christ came and and he lived a perfect life and he died a sacrificial substitutionary death in our place. And he rose from the grave three days later. He lives, he reigns, he ascended into heaven. the great promise is that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. (laughs) The, The great testimony, the great call from Jesus, the beginning of His ministry and throughout Acts we see is this call to repent, to turn from your sins, to turn from serving yourself, turn to the Lord, serving Him as Lord. And to believe, trust in Him, turn in faith, repent and believe. Unbeliever, repent and believe today. Please, I beg of you, repent and believe. Oh, believers, we have reason to celebrate today. We have reason to celebrate today. I I just want you to know that we have been redeemed. The story of redemption is one that we can celebrate. We have been bought, we've been ransomed, our debt has been paid. Our debt's been paid. Romans 3, 22-25, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe has been revealed. There's no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through what? Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over the former sins. Listen, we have great cause to rejoice in the redemption that is through Christ and comes through faith. Galatians three thirteen, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by re- becoming a curse for us. Oh, believer, rejoice in that. We have been redeemed. Why? Because Christ became a curse for us. The curse that we should incur, the curse that we should receive, Christ became a curse for us. Why? Because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, it says. In Galatians 4, 4-5, through we read, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So that, why? What's the purpose? Why? Why does He redeem us? Because we are to be adopted as sons so that we might be adopted as sons. (laughs) He brought us those who were separated, those who were alienated, those who were hopeless in despair, alone, brought us in and adopted us through redemption into his family. Ephesians 1, 7, and 8, we meditated on a few minutes ago. In him we have redemption through his blood, what? The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in Christ. Jesus, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Believer, know that you have been redeemed By Christ, the true and better Boaz, and that there is forgiveness in him. Redemption and forgiveness seen as the same thing here in in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So there is hope in the midst of hopelessness. There's hope in the midst of hopelessness. Hope is real because we who were dead have been made alive. Hope is real because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ hope is real because nothing can separate us from the love of our redeemer hope is real because we are no longer in bondage to sin hope is real because our inheritance is sure and certain hope is real because we no longer fear the sting of death hope is real because Jesus is our redeemer and he lives the worship team's coming we're going to sing and we're going to rejoice in our redeemer we're going to glory in our redeemer we have great cause for rejoicing christians Church, we have great cause for lifting high the name of Christ. Why? Because he is our redeemer. And because he lives, because he is our redeemer, hope is real. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you find yourself today. But there is hope in the midst of hopelessness because Christ is our redeemer. Let's stand and let's sing and let's praise our great redeemer.